0: Amen. Exodus chapter 20 is where we find the Ten Commandments and we're in the middle of a sermon series where we're trying to unravel some of the mysteries of the Ten Commandments. There are a lot of questions about the Ten Commandments. There are a lot of things that people think are true about the Ten Commandments that are not true about the Ten Commandments and so we're trying to unravel some of that mystery in this series. Uh, Perhaps the most important thing is Simply, the answer to the question, why did God give us the Ten Commandments? What is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? And we've already seen the answer to this, and we'll see it again each week. But the purpose is not to give us a roadmap to a right relationship with God, even though that's what the majority of people in America think. The Ten Commandments are not a roadmap. Uh, an, an instruction list for how to have a right relationship with God, but rather the Ten Commandments, number one, reveal something about God's character. We can see something about who he is in the Ten Commandments. Number two, they show us how to bring honor to him. And then finally, they will direct us down the path of wise living. So the commandments are not... A roadmap to a right relationship with God, but they are a way for us to learn something about God, a way for us to bring honor to God, and they show us how to go down the path of wise living and so we started two weeks ago just to just to work through this list, and we said two weeks ago that The way to have a right relationship with God is not to be obedient to the commandments. We cannot be obedient to the commandments. That's impossible, this side of eternity. The the way to have a right relationship with God is to trust God for what He has done for us through Jesus Christ, to surrender our lives to Him. The Ten Commandments were not given to the Israelites so that they could become the children of God, but they were given to the Israelites after they were were already children of God to show them how to bring honor to him and how to live wise lives. And then last week we began to learn what the 10 commandments tell us about God. And every commandment will tell us something more about God But last week, we specifically talked about the fact that the commandments show us that God is jealous for us. In fact, we see that language right here in Exodus chapter 20. God is jealous for our love, for our worship, for our obedience. And that is the most wonderful thing that can be said. God is jealous for us. Today, I want us to learn how to honor him. Now every commandment tells us how to honor the Lord, bring honor to the Lord, make his name famous and and glorified amongst the people that we're closest to. Every commandment is about that. But when we come to the third commandment, it is perhaps the best place to really learn this lesson that the commandments are given to show us how to bring honor to God. And so let's look at the third commandment. It's in verse 7. Exodus 20 verse 7 says do not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now you may be more familiar with the traditional wording of that. Uh, And it's found in the ESV and a number of other translations that would simply say, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And so whether you use the word vain or you say don't misuse the name of the Lord, the message is the same. We must be very careful that we don't make worthless, that we don't make empty, that we don't take away from the name of the Lord our God. Now, what is that telling us to do? What does it mean when it says, don't take the Lord's name in vain? Now, traditionally, we have said that that means that there are just certain sounds that we shouldn't pronounce. There are just certain syllables that shouldn't come out of our mouths. And that if we say these certain sounds, if these certain syllables come out of our mouths, then we have violated the third command. Well, is that what this command means? Well, Yes and no. You know, the best way perhaps to answer that question is that what the command refers to, just saying certain words, uh, is to say that the command is much, much, much larger than that. Uh, the, The prohibition against saying certain words might be an illustration, a tiny illustration of what this command refers to, but it is not the totality of the command. In fact, as you look through the rest of the book of Exodus and you follow the nation of Israel, you see that that was not the application in their lives at all. And so while our traditional understanding is not wrong, it limits the command to, 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 to something that just omits much of what God is telling us when he says that we should not take the Lord's name in vain. So let's take a few minutes this morning and look into verse 7 and into the practice of, of the obedience to, to this commandment found in in the life of the Israelites, and let's see if we can determine what does it mean when it says don't vain the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or of, or of God the Father. Well, it means first this. We vain the name. We make empty the name by speaking recklessly. That's probably a good place to start. Even though that's not where the minds of the Israelites would have gone perhaps when they first heard this command, that's where our minds go. So let's talk about that. If we speak recklessly concerning or with the name of the Lord, then we're guilty of breaking this command. Now that's not all of the command, but that is an important part of the command and it is a very good starting place. Now, what is so wrong with using the name of the Lord to express anger or disgust? If I'm angry at somebody or a situation or I'm disgusted and so I use the Lord's name, I say the Lord's name to express my anger, what's so wrong with that? Well, it's wrong for a couple of reasons. One is it shows great disrespect to God. God's name is wonderful. What's that song, uh, Andre, that that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus? I won't try to sing it, but uh, great is the name. I can't remember all the words. Uh, But we know that the name of the Lord is a precious name. It means so much to us. He is our, our Savior and our Lord. We adore him. And so to put his name as an expression of our anger or our disgust, Would be to show great disrespect. And it also denigrates the value and the purpose of his name. It's by the name of the Lord that people are saved, that people receive a new life, that people have forgiveness and grace and mercy. And to use the name of the Lord in some other way denigrates its value and it and it hurts the purpose uh, of the name. So what does this include? Let's talk about specifics. Well, Number one, telling God to damn someone or expressing that he has already done so. That would be, in this sense anyway, using the Lord's name in vain. Because we have used the Lord's name to express our anger or our disgust. I think it would include using the name Jesus Christ as an expletive. Uh, this is becoming more and more common. Have you seen this? Just, just in, in, in normal discourse, even, uh, that people will, will say because they're alarmed at something or they're surprised at something, they will say Jesus Christ. They're not addressing him. They're not talking about him. They're just, they're just saying the name. Well, that certainly is not the right thing to do. Uh, something else that people do, maybe this is, uh, some people will believe this is taking it one step too far, but I don't believe it is. Uh, it's a common expression now for people to say when they're surprised, Oh my God. Now, that's not the beginning of a prayer ordinarily. They don't say, Oh my God, thank you for the, for the bountiful provision that you have brought. No, they're just saying it. It's just something that we carelessly say. Uh, when we're surprised or we're upset or even when we're happy about something, it's not a prayer. We're not addressing God, we're not even talking about God. We are using His name carelessly, and that is always wrong. We should look to the positive. God has given us a voice, and God has given us language to communicate. And our voice, the things that we say, it is a window to our soul. Do you know that? James one twenty six says, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. The Bible says that you can look at the things a person says and you can tell something about their heart. And so if we, if we use the name of God carelessly, that tells you something about what's going on in our hearts. So the voice, our lips, our tongue is given as a window into our soul, but, it, but they're also given as a tool for us to bless the Lord. Psalm 51, 15, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. When we speak the name of the Lord, we ought to speak it in the process of giving praise and honor to him, of, of thanking him. And so if we're not going to vain the name of the Lord, if we're going to honor the name of the Lord, let's be careful about the words we say such that when we refer to Jesus or when we talk about the heavenly father, we're talking about our praise for him, not an expression of our anger or our disgust. Uh, so number one, to vain the name is to speak recklessly. Uh, secondly, to vain the name would be to celebrate carelessly, by celebrating carelessly. Now, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this, but, uh, but, but I think this is an important step because it's gonna help us begin to broaden our understanding of the third commandment so that we're not just thinking about the words that we say, but we recognize that this involves every part of life. In fact, most people think that this is the easiest commandment to keep. It it seems pretty easy, right? Just don't say about a half dozen words and you're fine. We think this is the easiest commandment to keep, but in fact, it is the most difficult command to keep. And you'll see that as we, as we fully investigate what it means. But I want to give you the second one because I want to help expand your, your perspective on this commandment. And because this is the first Sunday of November and Christmas is right around the corner and oftentimes pastors like me, we find ourselves saying things at Christmas that we wish we would have said two months ago. So here it is. Here's my shot. Okay. So how do we vein the name of the Lord? We celebrate carelessly. We, for instance, take a holiday like Christmas. I mean, Christ is right there in the word Christmas. Christmas right christmas is the celebration of the birth of jesus christ but we take a holiday like christmas and we make it all about santa claus or we make it all about family or tradition or football or feasting or shopping or gifts or hunting i mean you pick your poison we take a we take a holiday and we can do the same thing with easter but we take a holiday that is a christian holiday that that has a focus that should be centered upon Jesus and we make it about a hundred different things. So that Jesus becomes little more than a decoration or an interruption to our otherwise festive holiday. You know what I mean? And so we have called it Christmas. We say we're celebrating Jesus. But I, I just have a feeling that in, that in many homes, the celebration of Jesus is such an insignificant part of the larger celebration. It's such an insignificant part of what, we, what we're calling our, our Christmas celebration that we can't honestly say that it's focused on Jesus. And see, that, that is to take the name of Jesus And make it vain, to make it empty, to make it meaningless. You know, for most of us, if we have a lost neighbor, a neighbor who doesn't know, follow, love Jesus Christ, the celebration that we have for Christmas, they could do 95% of that celebration at the neighbor's house and it would be just as good. I mean, if the neighbor's celebration and your celebration are both about food, then you can both do that. If it's both about gift giving, then you can both do that. We ought to have celebrations that are so distinctly Christian that our celebrations are not a careless celebration, but they bring honor and glory to Jesus' name. I know this is hard. I was thinking as I put this message together, how well have have we done, Donna? How well have you and I done? And we've struggled with this a lot of years. And I know some years we have uh, uh, we, we have uh, one year we didn't give gifts. Uh, sometimes we've given them early or late in order to try to keep the focus on Jesus. And we've done well some years, and we've not done so well some years. Is this important? Absolutely. If we're going to call it a Jesus celebration, and then we basically, for all practical purposes, cut out Jesus, we have veined his name. We have made his name um, somehow less than what it it should have been. I, I remember one Christmas, and my, uh, my middle daughter Emily will remember this, we... It was just one of those years that Donna and I decided we were going to splurge. Nothing wrong with giving gifts or going hunting or watching football. Certainly nothing wrong with eating a feast on Christmas, right? So, But we decided with our gift giving that year, so it's been about six years ago, Donna. uh, We decided that we would just, it was just going to be an extravagant year. We were going to spend more than we had spent, and there was a gift uh, that we wanted to give our oldest two daughters. They were each going to get their gift, but it was going to be the same thing. And it's something that they had not asked for because it was um, it was it was beyond what ordinarily they would have gotten for Christmas. But but you remember this? I don't want to say what the gift is. I'd be embarrassed. But uh, we got each of them the gift, uh, and we had them open it at the same time because we didn't want you know one of them to open it and the other one say, "Am I not even a member of this family? Why did she get the gift I wanted?" and so they opened their gifts and they were so excited. And, oh, daddy, we love you. Daddy, we love you. They even thought mom loved them a little bit. And, <laughs> but I got most of the credit for, for that and I'm thankful for that. And they, they were so giddy. They were so excited. And then they took their gift over to the table and they played with it uh, the rest of the day. Now we still read the Christmas story and we did some other things. But, you know, honestly, all of that was a nuisance, was a distraction from, from the gift. And, you know, I look back and it wasn't wrong to give them those gifts, but we should have done it in a different way. And it's not wrong to give gifts on Christmas. We do that almost every Christmas and, and everybody does. And that's a good thing and, and great memories. But we've got to make sure it's about Jesus. I mean, I look back and I think, well, what if we had given them those gifts on Thanksgiving and then we have just made Christmas about Jesus? What if we had found some way? I don't know what the right thing to do. But church, when, when, we, when we celebrate carelessly, we take the Lord's name in vain. And, and this church is filled with people who would not use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in a curse word if your life depended upon it. But we will plan our Christmas and Easter celebrations such that Jesus is simply uh, an afterthought. And we don't even recognize that in some real sense we have made vain the name of our Father in heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, number three, a third way we vain the name is by using his name to justify our actions, uh, sometimes we will, we will want to do something that we know we ought not do, but in order to feel better about it, in order to get other people to feel better about it, we will say, God told me to do it. Have you ever heard people say that? It's, it's a form of identity theft. Any of you had your identity stolen Uh, We hear about that all the time. People will have their identity stolen and somebody will take their identity and they'll go and, and do something with it. They'll go take out a loan or they'll go make a purchase with your identity. And what they've done is they have taken your name, your authority, your reputation, your bank account, your credit rating, whatever. They have taken your name and in your name they've done something that they could not have done with their own name. Well, we steal God's um, identity when we try to add his authority to something that we want to do and we know is forbidden in scripture. Uh, I, I've got a whole list of examples here. I'll share just uh, one or two with you. The first that comes to mind the money changers in uh, the temple, in Jesus' ministry. Twice in his ministry, he came into the temple and people were, were exchanging money. Uh, they, they had temple money that they would give you for, um, uh, for official money, for government, for Roman coins. And, and so they were making this exchange. But in the, in the, in the midst of the chain, exchange, they were ripping people off. They were doing something that was improper. They were taking advantage of people. But you know how they did this? They told people, God told us to do this. We're providing you a service. God said it was okay. They were using the name of God to justify actions that were wrong. And the Bible says Jesus turned over their tables, ran them out of the temple with a whip. Can you imagine that? Because they were veining the name of the Father. They were, they were using the authority of the Father in order to justify their actions. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, it's a long passage, I won't read it, uh, but but people were failing to honor their parents because they thought they had found some religious loophole and they blamed the dishonor that they were showing their parents on on the Lord. And they were saying, well, God has told me, I've dedicated this to God. I can't take care of my parents. And, And Jesus was furious about that. He said, don't use the name of the Lord to justify what you know is wrong. That is veining, making empty his name. Uh, There are historical examples, I think, about uh, the Crusades. You know the story of the Crusades and there's much to that history. Uh, but but at, the, at the center of it, uh, one group of people waged war against another group of people and they blamed the whole thing on God. God told us to do that. Well, God did not tell them to do that, but they justified it by saying God told them. I think about uh, indulgences. Do you know what that is? And so uh, the Roman Catholic Church about 550 years ago began uh, to allow you to pay them money in order to receive extra measures of grace and mercy from the Father. And they said, if you'll give us this, this money, and, and, and there was a whole system, it was a little more complicated than that, but basically, you gave money, you got grace. I mean, what kind of fundraiser could we have if we could sell salvation, I mean, what an incredible fundraiser. They raised millions upon millions of dollars. But what they did was they took the name of the Lord in vain. They were using God's authority to get people to do things that God never said to do. Same thing could be said of slavery in the United States. And you can go and and, and read these sermons that pastors would stand and preach and justify terrible sinful things by saying it's God's plan when it was not God's plan. And we do this today. When we want to do something and we know it's wrong and we say, and, and, and sometimes as pastors we'll, we'll hear people just say more than perhaps they wish to say. Uh, but, but we'll hear people say things like, Pastor, I know this is wrong, but I prayed about it and God wants me to do it. Now just think about that in your mind before you say that out loud to a pastor or, or to anybody else. That is, that is wrong. If it's wrong, it's wrong. You're not going to get an exception from God because you prayed for it or you prayed for an exception. But all the time we're justifying things by saying God has told us to do it when that's just not the case. We vain the name of the Lord when we use his name to justify Selfish or sinful actions. But then the fourth thing, very quickly. uh, We vain the name of the Lord when we soil his name with our lifestyles. This is the primary meaning of the third commandment. When we say that we are followers of God, when we raise the banner of Christ... But our lifestyle says something else. We cheapen the name of the Lord. We make it less powerful, less meaningful for you to say to your neighbors or to your family, for you to say to people at work that you're a follower of Christ, that you love Jesus and he is important to you and Jesus is the way and Jesus brings peace and Jesus brings joy and all I need is Jesus, but then for you to chase after the things of the world and live a lifestyle contradictory to what you have proclaimed about Jesus, that it makes those people think that Jesus' name is not what you said it was, that it's not as wonderful as you said it was, it's not as powerful as you said it was. You have cheapened, you have made empty the name of the Lord. You imagine maybe being out in the supermarket and you, you, know, you see the Coca-Cola man. You know, you know what I'm talking about? There, there are people in Coca-Cola men, I don't know, you may be here this morning, but, but there's some people in town that are Coca-Cola people, and they're the ones who put all the Coca-Cola in the stores. And they usually have a shirt that says Coca-Cola on it. Are you the, you can raise your hand if you're the Coca-Cola man, but don't, yet, because I want to talk about hypocrisy and I don't want you to (laughs) think. But so imagine you see the Coca-Cola man and he's drinking a Pepsi. Now, what would you think about that? I mean, he is, he is taking the name of Coca-Cola in vain if he is drinking a Pepsi, Right? I mean, he says, my life is about providing this wonderful, refreshing drink to people, but really Coke's not the real thing. Pepsi's the real thing. And, and he's, he, is, he is bringing down the name of Coca-Cola. He, if you heard that I got a side job and that on Saturdays I was driving down to Houston and I was preaching in a Muslim mosque, and I was extolling the virtues of Muhammad. Now, what would that say? That'd say you needed a new pastor, right? <laughs> That's what it'd say. No, I, I can't do that. Why can't I do that? Because I can't I can't extol the virtues of Muhammad on Saturday and preach the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, on Sunday. No, if I did that on Saturday, it would make meaningless what I said on Sunday. And we must be so careful that our lifestyles are not making empty the name of the Lord. And when God said, do not make my name meaningless, when God said, do not take my name in vain, this is what he's talking about. Let's not make God's name meaningless, meaningless, God hates hypocrisy Revelation 3:15 Jesus said I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot I wish you were cold or hot Jesus is talking to a church. He's talking to people that showed up every week. He's talking to people that sang the best songs that said amen in all of the right places. And he said to them, you're, you're you're not cold or hot. You're somewhere in the middle. He says, I hate that. In the next verse, he says, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spew you or I will vomit you out of my mouth. See, we need to be people, if we're gonna have the banner of Christ in our lives, we need to be people whose lifestyles Back up our claims. Most people, all they know about Jesus, is what your lifestyle says about Jesus. You know why it's so hard to reach people for Christ uh, in America? Uh, th- th- there is an obstacle we have sharing the gospel in America that they don't have in a lot of places, and in, uh, in, 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 in some places around the world where they've not heard the name of Jesus. There's certainly obstacles that they have we don't have. But there's one obstacle that we have here and they don't have. And you know what the obstacle it is? You, you, you know what, why it is that so many people it's so hard for them to accept Christ? Because they live next door to too many Christians who are flying the banner of Christ but living a lifestyle that says something different. And when we do that, we make meaningless the name of Christ. We say our marriage is a Christ-centered marriage. But then our marriage looks as rotten as their marriage. We say that we get peace and joy from Christ. But our lives are as riddled with with sin and frustration as as their lives. We, We have proclaimed the name of Christ. But we have then made it meaningless with the lifestyles that we have lived. And ultimately, this commandment is not at all a commandment about saying curse words. Now, that would be a, perhaps a, an application of it. Don't, don't say, well, the pastor said I could curse all I wanted. <laughs> no, I'm, um, no. But this commandment is primarily about us living lives such that our lifestyles bring honor and glory to God and support the banner that we hold high. I read a story about Alexander the Great, and I don't know if this is an apocryphal story or if it is true, and some of you are historians and you can inform me when the sermon is over, but, uh, but I love this story. Uh, Alexander the Great, great military hero and won every battle he ever fought and one of the ways he won the battles that he won was because he had just this, uh, this discipline that he held his soldiers to. If they did something wrong, there was punishment, and it was severe, and it was quick. And so there was one battle. and He and his soldiers had been victorious, and they had celebrated. Uh, but now it's the next day. And so he sits uh, as judge in court as People were brought to him that had committed crimes in the midst of the battle. uh, Primarily the crime of desertion or cowardice. And he was known to have no tolerance for that. And those people were were executed because of their cowardice. And so people were brought to him and he would pronounce sentence and it would be executed. But as the story goes, uh, one young man, young man, brought before him, and uh, everybody noticed that this young man just, he just had this look of innocence and naivete, and, and they were watching to see what would the great Alexander do. And so Alexander the Great looked at uh, the clerk and said, what is the charge? And the clerk said, the charge is that he is a coward. He ran away in the midst of the battle. And they could see, the, the crowd could see the anger flaring in Alexander the Great's eyes because he hated cowardice. But he looked at this young man and he had pity on him because he was young and he, and he wanted to give him a second chance. And so he spoke to him softly. He said, young man, what is your name? And the man, nervous, scared, as you can imagine, He sort of mumbled under his breath, and he said, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great wasn't sure he heard it correctly. So he said, young man, what is your name? And the man looked up, and he cleared his voice, and he said, my name is Alexander. And at this point, Alexander the Great was just about to blow his top, and he said, tell me again, what is your name? And the man looked and he just was trembling and he said, my name is Alexander. And Alexander got right over him and screamed at him and said, young man, change your conduct or change your name. Listen, for all of us, we bear the name of Christ. And everybody knows that. Your neighbors know, your banker knows, your doctor knows, the people you work with know, the people down at the school know, your kids know. And what God says to us is just what Alexander the Great is said to have said to that man. Change your conduct or change your name. Just with your head bowed and eyes closed, I want us to pray. Father, I'm thankful that we can have forgiveness because of the work of Christ on the cross. Never let us forget that. The commands weren't given to lost people so that they would straighten up and become saved people. No, we become your children because we trust you and we surrender to you. And we experience your love and your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy Father, that's what we stand for here. That's why we're children of God. And I pray that those here today who need the mercy and the grace, that's all of us. But someone who is coming for the first time, that today they would receive that wonderful grace. I pray that today people will be saved. Not because they kept the commandments, but because they've surrendered to the love of Christ. But Father, many of us, we're, we are your children Because of your grace and because of your mercy, we are so thankful for that. And now we want to honor you. And we know that honoring you does not just mean that we have the right words. Honoring you doesn't just mean we have a certain banner over our lives or a label. No, the way we honor your name is to have a lifestyle that honors your name. Father, help us to to be guided by the third commandment, not to make empty, not to make vain the name of the Lord. Help us to hold on to that that phrase, that statement. I must change my conduct to reflect the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray this all in his name. Amen. Let's stand together as we respond.